I only had one job. It was to turn my microphone on. You know, thank you for grace. That's what grace is right there. Um, thank you, guys. It's just a sweet time of worship. And, um, you know, it's, it's a rigorous work. I, I really do mean that. It's really a rigorous work to come into the grace of Jesus Christ and to move into it. And um, I have a favorite bike instructor, a spinning instructor, and she said, it's hard work and it's worth it. And I don't know a better like phrase about what I think it is to live in Christ in this world. It's hard work and it's worth it. Not but it's worth it, it's and it's worth it. Meaning it's gonna keep being hard work, but it's worth it, it's worth it. Because when we experience Christ, when we experience this invitation that we talked about in this first session, something begins to really be changed in us. Uh, thank you guys also. Just want to let you know, I just appreciate you coming out today. And um, we all have busy lives. We have lots of opportunities to do lots of different things. Um, sometimes our lives actually aren't even that busy, but it's a lot of work to get here um, because of the stage that you're in, because of the season you're in. Maybe you've been in a low place, so it takes a lot of energy to come. And it just means a lot that you've trusted me with your time. I prayed a while ago, I prayed a long time ago actually, that God, if he would let me to speak, that I would have the opportunity to be so honest and to try to bring honest, honesty and authenticity to faith in a way that would help women uh, take that courageous step for themselves as well. So that's my hope in my heart for the work and the writing. And I just want you guys to know you just mean a lot to me and I hope that we can stay in touch. So there's a way to do that out at my book table. We've got some email encouragement, some video encouragement. Um, I just, God's just sort of said, hey, I made you a pastor for a lot of people. So if you've needed like a girl pastor, um, I've got, I'm one. So um, I want to offer that to you and you can connect out there. I'm going to sign some books after this session as well if you'd like to get a book. I know that The Bridge is going to launch some, uh, some groups out of this as well. And I just, I have a new friend, Lexi, that I've been sitting in the front row with. And I'm just reminded uh, about the power of sisterhood and of community and the fact that we can feel kind of connected and engaged even when we don't know each other in this room is really the power of the Spirit at work. Uh, scripture says to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So if you've come in here with a burden today that feels like it's too heavy for you to bear, in these moments of worship, we have been lifting you up so that you might feel alleviated in some ways. And that's what happens in fellowship with one another. So a lot of us have tried groups, haven't liked them in the past. I get that. I'm, yeah, I told you, I'm supposed to be honest. So I know you've thought that. I try to help groups actually talk about real things, not talk around things. So I'm going to do a little real talk here for our last little few moments together. And this is real talk, girl talk, on what grace actually looks like in our everyday life. What does it look like if we say yes to the invitation that Jesus gives? Jesus has given a very clear invitation through these courage words. It's an invitation to experience forgiven sin. It's an invitation to experience healing in the inner places, in the most important places. It's an invitation to experience him walking with us in everyday life within, to be transformed by him. And it's an invitation to experience victorious living because he says, take heart, I have overcome the world and you're with me. So that's the invitation that Jesus has very clearly given in his word. The question is, are we gonna take him up on his offer? Because the thing is, Jesus uh, has some things to say about how we're gonna do that and what that's gonna look like and what that's gonna look like in our everyday life. And we're gonna pick up there with a couple of ways that I think this plays out in our life. So what I want you guys to know as we begin, is that the depth of our relationship with God, 
the depth of our relationship with God will determine the strength and bravery of our love for people. The depth of this relationship will determine the true depth and bravery of our love for people. And Jesus didn't give a whole lot of rules or commands, but he did give a couple important ones. The first one in Matthew 22 says, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second one is this, you'll love your neighbor as yourself. All of the prophets and commandments hang on these two. It's a very rigorous set of commandments. That word all actually means holistic, holos. Jesus is saying, you're going to love me holistically, which means you're going to love me when you go home. You're going to love me when you go to work. You're going to love me when you're fighting with your husband. You're going to love me when you don't like your husband. Whatever that thing is, he's saying, I want it all. To be in Christ is an exclusive relationship. He says, that's what I'm going to ask of you. I'm going to invite you to this life, and as I invite you to this life, I want you to know that you can only have one Lord, and that one Lord is me. I just want to make that really clear, because I'm going to tell you a little bit about why I think that actually needs to be made clear, because it's what I've experienced in my life. I think we're always all the time trying to be the Lord of our own life again. We're just like, hey, just for a few minutes here, I'm going to be the Lord of my life over here. You can be the Lord of my life over here, especially on Sunday mornings, but um, I'm going to be the Lord of my life the rest of the time. And I'm just telling you all, because I've experienced, some of you are looking at me like, I can't believe she's saying that. I know you, well, just hold on. Just come with me. Come with me, okay? So here's the thing. We need Jesus' courage to actually do what God's commanding. He's commanding us to love him in this certain way, this holistic way, this mega way, all in. And he's commanding us to love our neighbor as ourselves, And we're actually going to need his courage to do that because it's going to be really hard work. So there's a couple of things about how this hard work is going to play out. John 13, 35 says, By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. It's pretty clear. He's like, actually, I'm looking at how you love people because that tells me how the world's going to know that you're my disciples. Madeline L'Engle is one of my, L'Engle, I don't even know how to say it, one of my favorite authors. She wrote A Wrinkle in Time. Are you guys familiar with that children's book? She said, there's a quote in one of her books where she said, I want to live my life in such a way that it would not make sense if God did not exist. I want to get to the end of my life and I want people to look back on my life and be like, that, that, I don't, that life does not make sense because God must be real. And that's kind of what this invitation to grace is, is to experience a life where it kind of doesn't make sense if God does not exist. Kind of the way that we're living, the way that we're loving, the people that are in our life, the way that we move into our world, like wouldn't be real if God wasn't real. Can you imagine if you felt that way about your life even a year from now? You were gathered here again with these women and you said, what God has done in the last year, it's like I can't not know he's real. Even when I go to dark places, even when I go back to the valley of the shadow of death where I'm not feeling God in my life, that's a real thing. You know, most of us, and it says in the Psalms all the time, are lamenting, feeling far from God, but that I know that he is faithful because I have had these experiences where I know that he exists. I think most of us are struggling most with believing that God is real and that he really cares about you. Like if we actually believed every day that God is real, that the presence that we're feeling here in this room when we're feeling something happening is not just an emotional reaction to music, but it is the spirit of the living God moving in your life. If we believe that God is real, that he knows about you, that he chose the times and places that you are to live, it says that in the book of Acts. If you actually believe that he intentionally placed you where he has you, and he has you there for a purpose, that he calls you his masterpiece, and he really cares about you, you actually would begin to be very different 
and you would continue to become very different. You are not what you were, but you aren't yet what you'll be, and you will live in that with joy, freedom, and confidence. That's the invitation to grace. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 5 says to us. It says, Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. You know what that sounds like to me? It's like a force behind you moving. You ever been in one of those uh, jet pools, those wave pools? Where you, I know, those dirty cesspools that you go to with your children, you know that place? Yeah, and you can feel, and there's, a, there's a, the current in it. That's sort of what I feel in this verse, that Christ's love compels us. It's pushing us from behind. Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died so that we could live in him. So now on, verse 16, now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. You ever size someone up really quickly? I'm with my best friend, Melissa. She's here traveling with me, and we, we checked into the hotel last night, and I hope she, this always happens to me. This girl might even be here. If, she, if you're here, lady, come up and talk to me. But anyway, she's my hotel lady. I just sometimes talk about people, and I realize they might be in the room. Sometimes they are. I loved you, lady. I'm about to say some really sweet things about her, so you can tell her later. She's probably one of your daughters. So I check in, and um, she's this little sweet little thing, and she checks us in so quickly. And Melissa and I walk, walk away, and I was like, she was so little. She was so cute. Her eyes were so pretty. Do you think that she was a gymnast? And Melissa goes, I was thinking all of those things in my head. She, I was thinking all those things. We size people up. We see them and we're like, oh my gosh, you're so young. I don't think you're old enough to work at a hotel. Your eyes are so pretty. Were you a gymnast? You're not, I'm not, I didn't say any of those things. I mean, truly y'all, she was like 4'8". She was so cute. Um, I mean, she was like a little cupid doll. I, really, I thought she, I was like, are you my daughter's friend? Are you 13? But she, that's just because I'm getting older. That's all that's happening. But anyway, you know that thing. You size people up. And God says, from now on, the way you size people up will not be from a worldly point of view at all. You will not see gender, you will not see color, you will not see demographic, you will not see position, you will not see power or authority the same. You will actually see people from a different point of view. When you look at people, you will be able to look at them with spiritual eyes. And when you look at people like that, things are going to become hap begin happening because Christ's love compels us. God is inviting us to the kingdom of God right here on earth, this kingdom of heaven that we can step into. And he says when this happens to you, Something's gonna happen, it's gonna be strange because you're not gonna see what you saw before in people. You're not gonna do what the world does. You're actually going to see beyond that. You may see that some of the most powerful and capable people in your life are actually deeply hurting on the inside. You're not gonna know why. I was just with a couple last week, getting ready to get married, and I knew this boy when he was in uh, junior high. He was in my student ministry, and I hadn't seen him in a long time. And, and so we were together, and they're getting married, and I'm gonna do their wedding, and we're just doing what we do. I'm just connecting. I'm like, hey, how's the last 15 years been? And he tells me a little something, and he says, yeah, he talks about just having had a back surgery. And as I'm sitting there across from him, I just like, out of nowhere, just said, what did you do for the pain? At which point he told me about his uh, opioid addiction, his rehabilitation, his time in jail, where he met Christ in jail. Why did I ask him that question? I had, no, I had no reason to ask him that. It, it was completely out of the blue. See, that's what God does in us. He says, when you're in me, your love, my Christ's love in you is going to compel you, and you're not going to see people from a worldly point of view. The Spirit of God is going to move into your life. You're going to find that you do and say things differently than you used to. But this is going to be hard work to do this. It's going to require of you. It's a rigorous work and a good work. 
It goes on and says, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Listen to this. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It goes on and says, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, and we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. You are like the plan A. We can tell God that it wasn't a good plan, but the reality is God says, you guys are my plan A for the work that I am doing in the world. I have given you a message of reconciliation because you are experiencing reconciliation with me. And because of that, I have called you an ambassador of reconciliation. I grew up in Northern Virginia at one point in my stint all across the country as a military brat, and so there were a lot of ambassadors. And ambassadors are people that have flags on their cars and they don't follow the speed limit. They get to do whatever they want. And they have special status in our country. And think about it. That is what God is saying about you. He's like, I am going to give you this gift of this job title. It is your job title. For those of you who like the idea of a business card or a name on your desk, it's like your name and then it just says underneath, Ambassador of Reconciliation. Now, for some of you, what I'd love for you to picture is what you've pictured before is winning the Miss America pageant. And um, you get your tiara, and you are a princess, and you put on your sash, and it says, Ambassador of Reconciliation. And you walk through your life, and that's what you are. You got it on your business card, you got it on your sash. Whatever it is, God has said, I don't care where you are, I don't care what you do, I don't care what your job description is, I don't care how old your kids are, I don't care how many things are messing up in your life, I gave you a job. You have one job, and this is it. Your job is to be an ambassador of reconciliation. Well, holy cow, that's a big job. (laughs) Anybody feeling that? And it starts, it starts with the reconciliation of our hearts to God. So often we think it starts out there. We're like, oh good, okay, well God, when you um, do the things that I need you to do and when these things start going right and when you open this door, then I will be your ambassador. And he's like, "Mm." first and foremost, what I'm talking about is the reconciliation of me to you. That's what grace is. Grace starts there. So the first thing that I want you to know about grace is that grace is what gives us the ability to actually care. And I, I, I want to use that word. I know we use it a lot. We say, I don't care, you know. But what this is means is that grace is going to give us the ability to truly care, really care, deeply care. And what we're going to care about and what we're going to find is that caring is really hard work. To actually engage deeply with what's really going on inside of you is going to take courage. To actually engage deeply with what is really going on around you is going to take courage. To actually engage deeply with what is going on in the world is going to take a lot of courage. Anybody ever felt that compassion fatigue? You're just like, I just can't bear it. That's what I want to talk about is this in-between about how we actually step into caring in that way. Caring is hard work, but grace makes us honest. Here's what happens when grace moves into your soul in a real way. And you may have been, you may have been saved when you were five years old with a wordless book or a VBS or a moment where you prayed a prayer and then you prayed it a few more times just to make sure it stuck. It did. It stuck. He got it. You prayed that prayer, but I'm talking about something different right now. Sometimes these things happen at the same time. Sometimes they happen differently. And what I am talking about is actually apprehending the grace of Jesus Christ for you, for you in your life right now. When you begin to do that, 
when you apprehend God's grace, you're going to start feeling stuff. And it is hard work. Because caring well, really being reconciled, means that we have to be deeply honest with ourselves. And we have to be deeply honest with ourselves in a way that we maybe have never been before. Here's what I mean by that. Here's an example. Here, I'll, sh- I'll just pull one out of my life. It'll be really easy. The other day, I was leaving a work uh, a work conversation, a work meeting, and I did what women do, right? I drove to the grocery store, and as I did, I had this long-running script going in my head, and I was sort of replaying everything that had happened. And I replayed everything that had happened, and as I did, I found myself getting more and more anxious, more and more resentful. Now, here is a place where there's a fork in the road, and the fork in the road is this. Either I'm going to make a judgment call on myself and on other people about what really happened in that room. I am either going to decide that person doesn't love me, they don't hear me, and they don't care about me, or I'm going to decide I'm really not worth it, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, I did, I did it wrong, or probably I'm going to do both of those things. I'm either going to do that. Anybody get what I'm talking about right here? This is the moment where we say the blame. We're going to either blame ourselves or we're going to blame someone else. We're going to make a judgment call about what just happened in my life. Or I'm going to diverge from that and I'm actually going to invite the grace of God into my heart at that moment. And I'm going to say, Heavenly Father who loves me, what's really going on with me? Tell me more. Help me understand. And as I do, what usually happens is the softer emotions come forward. And I realize, you know what, Lord? I'm just not sure that I really am enough. And I don't know that you really want me to do what I'm doing. And by the way, I was actually really hurt in that because I felt unseen. And all of a sudden, all of these different kinds of feelings come forth. And while I'm at it, God, actually I'm really angry. I'm really angry because I feel like you've put me in an impossible position. And I'm really angry because I don't feel like I get to do what I need to do. And because of that, I don't like it. And, and then I, if I keep going, because you know what? God's big enough to handle it. If I keep going, I'm finally going to get to the end. And at the end, is going to be like, God, I want to live my life the way I want to live it. And when I finally get there, now God's grace can move. When you will get desperate enough to actually listen to what is really going on in your heart. Not the problems of everybody else around you, the problems inside of you. The places where you're not trusting, the places where you're like, God, I just don't want it that way. That's the place we could say, okay, God, that's what's really up. Now I understand. (laughs) And God is so near and so present. And he wants to pour his grace out over you in that place. But you got to get to the honest place first. That's the good desperation place. Matthew 5, where we were when we landed. And Jesus said his climbing companions went with him. The message version says this. This is the first thing that he said. And I love Eugene Peterson's translation of this. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. Do you know that God actually wants you to get to the end of your rope? He'd like for you to live there, actually. Because at the end of our rope is a place where we trust ourselves less and we trust him more. We just trust ourselves less. We say, God, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves engaging and inviting God into our life in a new way. When we actually say, you know what, this thing at work, this thing in my family, it feels so impossible. I just don't seem to be able to change it. I'm actually at the end of my rope about it. When we actually admit to ourselves, I don't actually think I'm that great of a mom. I'm really not doing enough. I don't feel like I have enough love. I really don't. When we actually say that, when we say, God, I, I really don't think that I'm enough. I'm, I'm saying I'm at the end of my rope. I'm asking you to step in. That is grace. It takes courage to believe that God wants to meet you there. We're trying to clean ourselves up. We're trying to be enough. We're trying to work, work the whole life without God in it. And he's like, hey, I'm over here. I want to walk with you. I want to step with you in that. 
We're feeling pain. Some of you guys are just feeling pain. I was sitting over here praying, I remembered a time where one of my children was injured and it was just a really difficult injury. And I just felt so much pain. Like it was just so hard to love my child, to watch them in pain. And we're like trying to figure out how to deal with that. And God is like, let me meet you there. I want to meet you where you're not enough. Keep being not enough because I'm more than enough. We're trying to be enough without him. You'll never be enough without him. You will not be able to do what he's asked you to do without him. That's by design. (laughs) When he says, hey, I've committed to you the message of reconciliation, and you're going to be an ambassador of reconciliation, and guess what? You're going to fail totally. (laughs) He's like, you're going to fail totally because it's going to be you and me together. It's not going to be you on your own. If we don't know that we need that kind of grace, we cannot give that kind of grace. If you are not aware of your own sin, of your own brokenness, of your own failings, if you're not aware of that, and listen to this, because this is where most women fall. If you're not aware of that and you have embraced freedom, a lot of y'all are aware of it, but you're not embracing freedom. You're staying in shame. You're, you're making, you're actually, you're not allowing Christ to be who he's meant to be because it just feels like you can't, you've got to surrender. You've got to say, God, there's places where I don't believe that you are who you say you are. I, I just, I just want to come to you and ask you to set me free because people love free people. And it says, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. You know what people love? They love free people. They love people who know who they are and they're not ashamed to admit it. They love people who walk around with joy and hope. That's what people love. So we're people, we're women who've got our heads hung low because we actually are very aware of our sin, but we've never moved past it. We're still living in the past. We're still living in that story. We're living in that regret. We're saying we did it wrong. We're like, Lord, I just did it wrong in high school. And the Lord's like, I am so far past high school. Can you please come with me? Come with me. I died on the cross for your sin so that I could remove it from you. I removed it from you, whatever it was. And all those things that have been done to you, do you know that I want to walk you out of that? And I want to walk you into my freedom. I've got work for you to do. You do not have to be defined by that past anymore. That's usually the problem right there for women, is that they do know their brokenness, but they have not stepped into freedom. They have not said, it is done, and now let me live up to what I have already attained. Do you know that it's already totally done? Like all this stuff going on? in your future, in your past, and in your present, it's done. God said it is finished on the cross. It was finished then, it was finished now, and it's finished later. It's already done. He's like, let's move on from that. When you are justified in Christ by his blood, it is done. You are sealed in Christ for the day of redemption. Now we will live up to what we have already attained. Yes, we will. And that means that when I am with God, I am not insecure in my relationship with him. I don't have to worry about him feeling bad about me because of what I did. He already knows. He's waiting for you guys to know. He wants you to know. And he's like, good, I'm so glad that you realized how selfish you are. Great, now let my grace heal you. And let's get back to work. But all the time we're trying to fix that ourselves or act like it's not there. We're not willing to say, Lord, I don't have enough love. I don't have enough faith. I don't have enough trust. God's like, good, now let me pour into you. That's where I want you to be. You see, caring in that way starts with caring about ourselves. Caring about what he's doing in us. But caring about what he's doing in us doesn't take our eye off the ball. We're still the ambassadors of reconciliation. But for so many women, there's no gentleness or kindness with the way you're speaking to yourself. There's no grace. There's no compassion. But God says, you know what? I want to be gentle with you. I want to be gentle with you the way that you're gentle with children. Do you know that I see you that way? 
I was praying for a friend the other day, and she's very talented, young and, and hurting, and, and just full of opportunity to be so used by God in ministry. And, and I'm praying for her, and walk, I want to walk. And I felt like the Spirit said to me, you know what, Nicole? The way you feel about that one is how I feel about every single one. Whether you can tell on the outside that they're talented or not, that's how important their hearts are to me. Every single one. You know, most of the time, ladies, we don't use those kind of gentle voices on the inside. We don't use that kind of compassion for ourselves. We're not okay that we failed again that day. We're not okay, but that, and God says, why don't you let me handle that? Could you come to me? I'm your heavenly father. Could you come to me? Because the invitation to Christ is an invitation for that kind of healing that begins to set us free. It doesn't happen all at once. It happens little by little. Caring is hard work, but grace makes us honest. Secondly, caring is heart work. Caring is heart work. That's really what we've already been talking about here. But grace makes us strong. Listen to this passage from 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16. Now, Paul likes to use a lot of words. This is the Apostle Paul. He's talking to the church. He uses a lot of words, and particularly Greek is a very exact language. So a lot of words are used. So I want to slow down because a lot of times when I'm with my, with my tribe, I'm trying to say, hey, y'all, don't move on in Scripture if you don't actually know what it says. You're like, blah, 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 blah. But if you can't actually repeat what it says for yourself, then you probably haven't understood it yet because it's a lot of words. We don't talk like this. So it's a lot of words. So let's just slow down and see what it says. 1 Timothy 1 verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy appointing me to his service. So that's a lot of thoughts right there. So let's turn them around. So, so Paul's saying, hey, as a one that I, in Christ Jesus, I have been appointed to service. We got that right? Not only that, but God has given me a trust that I'm going to do with what he's given me, right? And it's going to happen because he's given me strength. So that's what, we, that's what we hear right here. And then what we hear next, though, okay, here we go. Even though, even though, I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. The very next thing that he says is like, now to God, invisible, immortal, eternal. It's this like huge, it's like the end of what, what a beautiful name. Imagine if we said these things about ourselves while we were singing what a beautiful name. We're like, and I was the worst, and I was a gossip, and a deceiver, and a manipulator. What a wonderful name it is. Because a lot of times I think we read this with our head down. Like if this was about us. Because you know what Paul says about himself right there? The three words that he uses? Even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. That's kind of like he ratchets it up every time. To be a blasphemer was like the words that he was using. To be a persecutor was a pattern of living that he was in. And to be a violent man meant that at his core, he knew how broken he was. That is a serious testimony when you talk like that. Here's what I mean, like most of us, we've got, he's got action, he's got pattern, and he's got core. But you guys know who Paul was, he was like a religious guy. And when he stoned Stephen, the first martyr, the first guy in Christianity, he was, he was thought that he was doing the right thing. He actually thought that he was living the way that God wanted him to live. So for him to look back on his own life, stay with me, for him to look back on his own life and admit that he knew that at the core of him, despite the fact that he was religious, at the core of what was happening in him was that he was violent. You know what, do you guys see what I'm saying? A lot of times what's happening on the outside isn't the same 
as what's happening on the inside. Now, I don't know how many of y'all talk about each other like that. Well, don't talk about each other like that at all. I don't know how many of you talk about yourselves like that. I don't know how many of you tell your testimony like that. I thought I'd, I thought I'd write some words that I thought might work for us in, in Christianity. I thought, you know, even if I was a gossip and a manipulator and a deceiver in my core, even if I was once fearful and a controller and a hoarder of relationship and things, even though I was once sharp, angry, and prideful at my core, even though I was once a cover-up and a hider and a fake. Anybody share your testimony like that, or is that just me? I, you know, I could write all these because I know all these, right? I know what it feels like to be that woman. I know what it feels like to say, this is what it really means in my core. This is who I really was. You know, in order to get to verse 15, we got to know our three-word testimony that came before we got to know who we were so that we know who we can be. And in all of this, Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus who's given me strength. That word strength means he is fortifying me. He is giving me the kind of dynamic power to actually live out what he's asking me to do. But right with it, Paul knows, this is what the grace of Jesus Christ looked like for me. This is who I was. And this is who I am now. He holds together those two things in a way that most of us are not able to. Most of us aren't able to hold together who I really was and wow, the power of who I'm meant to be. It's usually we just try to like gear into one or the other. And this is what grace does. It allows us to hold those things together. That I can admit, this is exactly who I was and this is who I can be. A friend of mine and I have talked before about what would we be like if Jesus was not in our life? Only you know who you would really be if Jesus was not in your life. Only you know what kind of destruction that might look like for you or for your relationships. And there's something about that that's humbling. It's like recognizing, oh my gosh, Christ Jesus has truly saved me. I wasn't good before, and I wasn't good enough before. I needed Jesus to save me. Sometimes we just gotta think back and be like, wow, God has brought me a far, long way. And I am so grateful. And that's what Paul does here. So it says that in scripture that he was shown mercy. And I want to just point out what mercy really means and is for us. I don't know when you use the word mercy, this is what comes to mind for me. Arm wrestling or tickle torture with a sibling. I don't know if you can remember those times. Generally mercy is like uncle, like let me up. I think of the idea of being held down, like God, it, it, sometimes I think we think God's got his heel on the back of our neck and we're just on the ground and we're like, mercy, God, mercy. It's just this horrible vision of what it means to be shown mercy. But this is what the word actually means. So let me know if anybody in here needs this. This is what it means to be shown mercy. To be shown mercy is to have affliction relieved, suffering alleviated, to ease mercy, to ease misery and carry with it a desire to remove suffering. So now put those words into this passage. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy. My soul was relieved, lifted, relaxed, and healed. You see, the theological term of mercy actually means God's desire to relieve the affliction of sin, not just to remove the sin itself but to remove the pain of the sin. We live in a sinful and broken world, which means sin's all around you all the time. So it may be sin that's in you, but it may be sin that's towards you. That God's mercy says, not only do I remove sin, but I can also alleviate the affliction of sin. 
Our world was not meant to be a place of brokenness. It wasn't meant to be a place where kids get cancer and people are abused and there's oppression and injustice. That's not the original design. So what God is working to do is to reverse the effects of that in us and through us. As we become ambassadors of reconciliation, it's because we have experienced the reconciliation to God in the heavenly realms. And therefore, we can carry out the reconciliation to others. We just get to play our part, whatever that part may look like, wherever we're going to step out and become an ambassador of reconciliation if we are to listen to God and actually step out and obey him, to follow him. Remember where we left off? To actually follow him each and every day. So the third thing is this, caring is holy work. Caring is holy work. But grace makes us bold. Bold is where Jesus' courage meets Jesus' confidence. Bold is where that courage meets confidence. You see, if we're stuck there in the place where we're still in shame, we're still trying to fix it ourselves, we're still still trying to be good enough, we're not living into the freedom. We can't say like Paul did, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I'm totally the worst. He says it right before he does this huge benediction of praise. He's already on the upswing by the time he says that. Do you know how much freedom it is to say, man, I was the worst. Can you believe that Christ Jesus wants to use me? He's so appealing to people. No one's looking for you to be perfect. It's not even, people don't even like it. They don't even want to be around you. So don't even try. (laughs) You know what people want to be around? They want to be around people who say, man, I am screwed up. I'm screwed up and God loves me and it got a little better today. Isn't that awesome? You're like, oh, you know, you can't, you can't throw me off. I don't know what you're about to say to me, whatever feedback you're going to give, you're thinking at work. You can't throw me off. I know, I know, I'm, I stink, I get it. You know, it's just this sort of this sense that like, hey, I get it. Because I do the hard work of being honest with myself. And I know my God who forgives me, who heals me, who relieves me, who strengthens me. I, I know who I really am. I'm fine with it because I got my God who loves me. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me because I have confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and that every day I can say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord again today because I've confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and I believed in my heart that God raised him from the dead. And because that resurrection power that was used on Christ is available to me, I know that God can resurrect anything in my life, that God can take places that feel dead, broken, and hurt, and he can make them new. That God can take places where I feel like I've failed over and over again and he can still do a new thing. See, there's so much power in that. There's so much freedom in it. And as we step into that freedom, things begin to change in your life in in interesting ways. When I was a mom with young kids, my kids are a little older now, but when I was a mom with young kids, I struggled a lot. Um, Life didn't feel like it was purposeful. I didn't feel like I was living into who I thought God wanted me to be. I also wasn't good at it. I didn't think I was good. I don't know any mom or young kids actually who thinks she's good at it. I could keep them alive, but it felt like that was it, you know? I'm like, praise Jesus, I didn't yell before 9 a.m. You know, I mean, that was like, talk talk about the bar getting so low in your life, you know? And I just was in that place where it felt that way to me. And you may or may not have children. Some of you may not have children. You deeply desire children. And this is hard because you're like, oh, man, that's all I want. But you've got your thing. Your thing probably is the fact that you wish your life was totally different than it is right now. Well, the reality is, and because I can be honest here, I want you to know that I wished my life was completely different than it was then. And that doesn't change the fact that I love my children. It doesn't change the fact that I believe that I'm called to be a mom. I'm just trying to be honest with you guys because Paul told me to. Like, 
I didn't want the life I lived. I didn't want to be in it, and I just was. And I had to smile and act like a Christian, you know, and be in ministry. So that's what it felt like most of the time. So one day, um, preschool canceled, because you know, that's what preschool does. Preschool never has preschool. They're always canceling. They're never, they're like just, the, just in the moment that you thought you got in a rhythm, you're like, are you kidding me? And you're like, you need a teacher work day? They're three years old. What, what are you doing? What are you guys learning about? Please just take them. Just keep them for a while. And it was another teacher work day. And so I had my youngest with me, and I was going through all this stuff just sort of internally. Like, what is this all about? And I feel like my life lacks meaning, and it lacks purpose. And I know what the Bible says, but I just, I'm just not feeling it. And so we go to the grocery store, and because I am such a good mom, I told my son that we would just eat a donut after we had done our groceries, because that's how I parent. So, and mostly probably because I wanted a donut. So I needed a donut, because preschool wasn't in session. So we, uh, we went and got our groceries, and then we were at this little grocery store that had a little cafe. And so we had plans to sit down together. My son was probably about four at the time. And so we sat down at a little table, just the two of us across from each other were going to eat our donuts. So I'm sitting there, and I'm just kind of observing who's, and it's not my normal grocery store. I wouldn't normally be there because he would have been in preschool. So I was, I was out of my routine. So I'm watching and sort of seeing what's happening in this grocery store, and I'm just paying attention to the people around. And um, I live in a good old southern city, so there was some men doing a Bible study. Uh, there was like some businessmen meeting. There was some ladies who looked like they were going to maybe play tennis or go to the gym or something together. All these little clusters of people, and Desmond and I are sitting across from each other. And then I sort of notice that there's one guy sitting by himself. And he's sitting, drinking a glass of water, and he's sitting sort of near the drink machine. And I notice him, and he's a little bit unkempt. He's a little bit, looks a little different than the other people in the store. But what I actually noticed, more than anything, was that nobody would look at him. Because everyone had to pass him to get to the drink machine. And all these people, Bible study, co-workers, tennis ladies, nobody would look at him. Did not even catch his eye. And I just couldn't help but notice. And, you know, this is what happens when grace moves in. You start to care. So I'm sitting with my son, but I'm, like, looking at him. I'm looking at this guy. And I kind of have a sense from the Lord. And God's like, go over there. And I'm like, no. <laughs> go over there. <laughs> It's ridiculous. <laughs> this is what happened. I'm like, no, that's, that's crazy. I'm like, Lord, what am I going to say? What am I, I going to say to this guy? I mean, he could just be here, you know, he's probably about to go do construction. I mean, construction and homeless guys look almost the same. I don't know. I, I truly, truly, y'all, that was my prayer. Because it was, I didn't know if he was, I didn't know what, what the deal was with him. I truly. So I feel, I'm like, oh gosh, God, what am I going to do? It's embarrassing. This is what goes through us, right? I'm like, it's embarrassing. I feel insecure. What am I going to say? What's he going to say? I'm going to act a fool. I don't want to act a fool today. But you know how the God is. And here's the thing, ladies. If you have a thought that drops in your head that you would not normally think, guess what? That's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so you can either ignore it or you can obey it. The more times you obey it, the more exciting it's going to get. But it's going to be rigorous. So I'm like, oh, Lord. So I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm kind of like side-eyeing him a little bit, like trying to figure out what's my, what's my play here. What am I going to do? Because truly, I mean, it is one of those things. What are you going to say? Dear sir, would you like 20 bucks? What if he was in construction? It's just weird. You know, I, I just didn't know what to do. And then you feel all the feelings. You're like, I'm a girl. I've got my, I'm just a mom. I'm. Mean, this is weird. What am I going to say to him? Like, if my husband was here, I'd make my husband do it. And, you know, just all that stuff that you go through, right? All the excuses you start making. But you know what 2 Corinthians says? We don't regard people from a worldly point of view. So wouldn't you know it? He's holding his water cup, and I notice 
that his hands are cracked. It's the winter time, and they're sort of, especially his thumb, I could see was sort of cracked open and was exposed and looked kind of, you know, like it really hurt. And wouldn't you know it, my son that was with me had terrible eczema. It was like the worst, he was like in a clinical trial. It was the worst eczema that you could ever see, and he would always have cracked hands. So I'm like, all right, fine, Lord, I, okay. I'll go buy him some stuff. We'll just go back into the pharmacy section. I'll buy some, some of the stuff that I like. And Lord, if he's still there when I get back, <laughs> you know, because I'm sure he has places to be. But fine, God, if he's still there when I get back, I will go up to him. So Des and I pick up all our stuff. We go. I peruse the aisle. I read every label five or six times. I'm like, gosh, this is so embarrassing. I I, I just want you guys to know, it's not easy sometimes to do what God's asking you to do. So I get these things in my cart, and I'm like, get my little bag, and I'm like looking like this over to the cafe. Oh, there he is. All right. So I walk back over to him, and I, I got down on my knee. And I had, because I had Des with me, and this is, I use my kid, you know. So I'm like, I put Des's hand up to him, and I'm like, excuse me, sir. I just couldn't help but notice that your hands look really painful because my son has the same thing. And I just wondered if it hurts. And he said, yeah, it does hurt. And I said, well, I just happened, I just bought a few things that, you know, I use on Des that I thought might be helpful to you. And I just wondered if I could give them to you. And he said, sure, that'd be great. And I I put my hand on his arm, and I gave him the things, and that was it. I walked out of the door, and um, as the doors of the grocery store opened and I stepped out, I had a sense from the Lord that said, you know what, Nicole? Everybody needs a mom sometimes. And here I was, holding my calling in contempt, holding the season of life I was in as if it wasn't helpful, as if I wasn't growing, as if God wasn't using it. I'm like just trapped here as a mother. And the Lord would say to me, everybody needs a mom sometimes. And I just was so full. And I thought, you know what? God just used somebody in my life in a way that would not make sense if God did not exist. That doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen like that if God isn't real. And if Jesus doesn't love you and if he's not inviting you to be an ambassador of reconciliation. So I go home that day and, and I've got a few minutes and I had started to do a little bit of writing and I had a little blog that, that I had started to write and so I wrote up what had happened because I was so moved that God would use a time that I was feeling so much like I was not enough and that God would use that. And I write up this story and wouldn't you know it, a few hours later I get a text message from a mom that I drive carpool with and she says, Nicole, I just want you to know I was reading your blog. Well, already I'm like, you are? You read my blog? Number one, does anyone read my blog? Number two, you're Jewish. So she's reading this blog. I'm like, oh, okay, Rachel, awesome. And she said, I just want you to know, were you at this grocery store? And she names the grocery store. And I write her back. I'm like, yeah, I actually was at that grocery store. She goes, well, because I just want you to know that my husband is a caseworker for the free clinic in the city, and I'll send him by there tomorrow. We'll see if he's there. And she sent her husband over, and her husband found him, and got him uh, some bus passes into the clinic. And he, it turns out he was homeless. And he began a relationship with him. And I'd love to tell you that it ended with, they're here, they're coming on the stage, and the Jewish people became Christians. Woo! But that's not true. <laughs> Did you feel like I was setting you up for that? I wasn't. I don't even know what happened. I just, <laughs> but what did happen was this. What did happen 
was a small moment of obedience, a little moment where the Spirit says, you know what, I'm inviting you to my work. I'm not judging from a worldly point of view. Christ's love is going to compel you, and I'm asking you to do something right now. And that God would pour out blessing over blessing in that act of obedience. That that's the kind of thing that he invites us to. Women, sisters, ambassadors of reconciliation. It starts in small ways. It's those moments where you get that, that moment where you're like, oh, I really should, I really should ask for forgiveness for my husband. It's that moment where you think, I, I really am asking you, God, to just give, me, just give me the right words of grace for my child. It starts there. It starts when we say, God, you know who I really am, so I'm going to tell you who I really am. I'm just going to confess that I, this is the ways that I've been walking from you, far from you. It starts there. And then he invites us into this glorious kingdom. It's incredible. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. I know we're just a couple minutes over, so we're going to wrap up here. We're going to just finish by singing just a couple of, a couple of verses of um, Holy Spirit, because I want to invite you to respond. So as they do come forward, um, what I want you guys to hear is this. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So as we close today, we're just going to close, which is a short moment of prayer. For some of you here, you have been living this out, and you are loving it, and you just feel encouraged and refreshed in the word to just have those eyes open for who God has for you, and that is good. And I hope that you'll take these moments to pray and to sing just to kind of get yourself there and to leave on that note as you go back to your life. For some of you, though, uh, there's some burdens that you just haven't been able to let go and let down. Uh, there's some places that feel like they're, they're stuck. They're just not there yet. And so I want you to know that if that's you, if you want to just open your hands, there's nothing special about opening your hands. You don't have to worship anyway except the way that you feel compelled to worship. But there is something physical about saying, when I open my hands like this, I'm putting all this stuff in my hands. And I'm saying, Lord, would you take these things from me? There is something that happens in us when we just place ourselves in a posture of surrender and of worship, because we're saying, God, we believe you're real and that you're speaking and moving in our life. And finally, there's some of you here today, you may have been in church for a long time. You may have been here for a long time. And you know that you really haven't actually said, Jesus, will you be the Lord of my life? You maybe have said it with your head, but you haven't said it with your heart. And I just wanna invite you, you know what? Today's a new day. Today's a new day to start. And God wants to move into your life. He wants you to know that he loves you, that he has a plan for you, that he wants to forgive you and he wants you to experience that kind of healing. He wants you to know the freedom and confidence that come from being a woman who can walk around and say, this is something that I know. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And he wants to take that from you if you wanna surrender that to him today. It's so simple. He makes it so simple. He says, you know what, believe that I'm the Lord. Believe that God raised me from the dead and you're saved. You are sealed for the day of redemption. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to leave you guys just a few moments of silence, and then we're going to sing our way out of here. Does that sound okay? Okay, let's pray together. As we quiet our hearts, it's just been a short amount of time, but Father God, you are outside of time. You can move in our lives in a moment and in an instant. In Scripture, Jesus, you use the word immediately to describe how you come into our lives when you tell your disciples that you are there. So, Father, as we close our eyes and lift our hearts to you, for those of us in the room, Father, we just want to do more and be more for you. 
We pray that you just reveal any places in our lives that we've been holding back, any places that we've gone our own way, that we've just found ourselves just off the path. Any of those places, Lord, that you just want to gently remind us so that we might confess and come on back, come right on back into your glorious grace. For those of us, Lord, who just came in here, we just, our souls were dragging in here. We're just so tired and so weary. We don't feel like we can wait any longer or we can endure anymore, Lord. For those in the room like that who might, might put their hands up, just raise those palms to you, Lord. Father, we want to call on your promises that you are a God who gives mercy as you always do those who call on your name. You are a God who gives mercy as you always do those who call on your name. And Lord, for those of us who just want to just want to say a prayer for maybe the first time, a real prayer, an honest prayer from ourselves. Lord Jesus, we know that if Christ is for us, who can be against us? There is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. And for those in the room who just need to say yes to that, I pray that you would compel their hearts into your kingdom. It's in your name we pray. And as we sing, we're going to stand, y'all. You can stand, you can sit. However you want to receive God's word just in these last few minutes, whatever feels comfortable for you, and then we'll close out, okay?